this is Richard Wilson speaking. Thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, but don't shed a tear. Footers and gravestones, welcome to the final reviewing of the rewatch series. It's finally almost over. Episode six of series two, Timeless Time, the last episode I ever reviewed alone, which seems a long time ago. I think just over two and a half years ago, I, I think. But what followed from this episode on the podcast back in early 2020 was the birth of guest appearances by you, the listeners of this podcast, run out of breath then, and fans of Once in the Grave. So the first guest that ever appeared on this podcast is now rather appropriately closing off the rewatch series for the last time. It's only Ben Shaw. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be back. And it's good to be back on your as your final <laughs> guest in the series, I guess, as uh, it's come full circle. So it's nice, yeah. It's a relief to get the... Uh, Rewatch what series done because you know i've been banging on about getting guests back on for those episodes i used to review alone i say it's like for the last time i mean in its current format i'm i'm bound to do the odd episode here or there maybe covering uh specific topics or character psyche investigational work um but yeah basically we're, we're at the yeah, final I think, I think point there's enough, there's enough depth in this show that you know quite apart from the the episodes in, individually you could you could explore quite a lot still i think there's, there's plenty the series as a whole. There's so. plenty more to milk, I think, from this show, definitely. But you you have first appeared then on the um well basically the first two Christmas specials. So who's listening and the man in the long black coat? That's right, um, yeah, which coincidentally are the first episodes of this I ever saw. So that was also hmm. quite appropriate. So. Very appropriate, yeah. And obviously I've had you on for the Beast in the Cage and the trial and endgame, which I'd forgotten earlier because you reminded me. And now timeless time. Do you see Sort of a pattern that's emerged with certain episodes I've had you on for. Uh, I seem to be, um, I seem to be brought in to do these, uh, as as I've heard it put it, bottle episodes where the, the characters are confined in one space in in sort of quasi real time for the the duration yeah. of the episode. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's definitely I, I, a pattern, isn't there? Apart from the game, which of course was the opposite of that, um, which I think is uh, the the running time is an hour, and I think we spoke for. The best part of three hours on that. So right, we, did we? We, we see, we seem to, <laughs> we seem to have a pattern of about three times real time usually. So, you are one of the super fans that you just know everything about this show. You can reference episode names, the minutest of description, and know of the s- several unseen characters reference. In fact, it was a bit of an early wake up call when I first had you on the podcast because I wasn't quite aware, or perhaps I under- underestimate the fact that One Foot had such knowledgeable and dedicated fans on the sitcoms obviously you get your dad's army fools and horses red dwarf type sitcom fanatics who know it inside out and obviously one foot yeah. is a hugely successful sitcom was i didn't know that a, a, the type of comedy that would have such fanatics would know because i came into this a little bit hammy on knowledge i reckon obviously i had many fond memories watching this show and uh i have loved it as much as any any other fan but christ when i first had you on you were sort of just reading off facts left right and center or referencing things to a t like perfect every time so well, i do feel like my one my, my one foot bible of knowledge has improved definitely but yeah <laughs> you, you sort of made me realize actually there's, there's plenty of listeners out there who know what they're on about and i'm i feel a bit exposed here so well i think it's it's another symptom of what you've pointed out before which is that this is a rather overlooked sitcom in in the sort of canon of british sitcoms anyway and i think 
the fans are equally overlooked. I mean, there's there's references yeah. to things like only fools and horses all over the place. I think I sent you a picture on Twitter of that that boat that was decked out like the the yeah. three wheel van, right? So yeah, you, you see these things everywhere, and you often see David Jason and all of you know people in the news about something that always refers to only fools and horses. You seldom get that with Renwick stuff, which I think is a real shame. That's very true, and. A small case in point was there was a Twitter poll by quite a fairly big Twitter account. He, the chap just asked, your top five British sitcoms. And there's hundreds of replies and very few were put in one foot in the grave in their top five, which is obviously fine. That's not, but my point remains like my, my initial paranoid idea that I don't think one foot in the grave gets that um, credit it deserves. I think there's a lot of, there were a lot of um, replies saying, I forgot about one because I piped up in that. Um, thread and people were sort of saying, oh no it is it is actually really good no it is it would be in number six maybe but it was a top five question yeah but, i saw yeah. that thread and i thought so some of the things that were in in people's top fives i know in i know my, in my I opinion know really didn't deserve to be there but i mean <laughs> taste is taste right you can't really that's the thing but because some people would have um very respectable third fourth and fifth place sitcoms but then they might have a really obscure number one or two which for example, mm. say they had Mrs. Brown's Boys as number one or two, but then you had Dad's Army number three. It would make sense to me. So there's all, all sorts of weird responses. But you could ask somebody their top five sitcoms, and they'll probably come up with something different every other day, wouldn't they? Probably so... most people would. Um, I think mm. sitcom junkies like us probably have quite a fixed list of, mm. of there's there's a very clear hierarchy in the in the shows I watch, for example. And yeah. The the I, I was about to say bizarrely, but I don't think it is that bizarre. Um, the, the sitcoms I love are the ones that are sad. Yes. Um, ones like One Foot in the Grave, Waiting for God, Birds of a Feather are all extremely sad shows. And the comedy comes from when weird things rise their head above the sadness. And then my, probably one of my top favourites as well is Keeping Up Appearances, which isn't particularly sad. Do you run the quote of the day account for that? I do, yeah. How did yeah. you? Did you, did you, did you do the one. Before? You do the you do the one foot in the grave quote of the day, don't you? That's how I, I remember that. I did, I did. Um, I I stopped doing it a long time ago. I actually deleted that account, and and the reason was that keeping up appearances is very rich in one-liners that work on their own as single lines and are funny. That's that's less so for one foot in the grave. That the the humor in one foot in the grave requires context, mm. and there are very few cheap one-liners in one foot in the grave. Yeah. Um, and so I actually found it difficult to mine quotes. Um, so I just stopped doing it. <clears throat> there's always an out of context. Like there's so many out of context comedy Twitter accounts, isn't there? Mm. I mean, the original one was Louis Through out of context. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. That, one, that was right. one of the first I saw. But yeah, there's plenty of sitcom ones. But keeping up appearances is something I don't ever revisit. But I did watch that in the 1990s. That's another one my grandparents absolutely could afford that when it, whenever it was aired. Yeah. Um, they had the video box set, I think, as well as the DVD box set. So they were massive fans. But yeah, when you post a, a quote, I can't remember them, but they make me laugh. Then it, it's yeah. worth a rewatch. Definitely worth a rewatch. There is it a, I'm sure there's is. a Keeping Up Appearances podcast out there. So a bit shout out to those guys who run. I'm sure they do. In fact, is they a, do. I have to confess, I've never listened to it. Um, I think I came across it quite some time ago, but. I don't feel I can really listen to it until I give Keeping Appearances a proper rewatch. Yeah. But yeah, um, this is one from the Grave podcast, so I better get back onto onto topic. So Timeless Time, the first single cam bottleneck episode of the series, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, out of all the single episode 
sorry, single scene episodes. Where does this rank? Because you've got Beast in the Cage, The Trial, Threatening Weather, obviously the comic relief shorts. How would you I compare think, this one? I, I, I usually don't really count the comic relief shorts because they're, they're kind of, well, I mean, I don't really watch them that often, but no. Um, Certainly, it, it's. I think the Beast in the Cage and the Trial are certainly my favourites. This is probably third. I've always been a little bit less keen on rearranging the dust and threatening weather. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's certainly it's certainly in the in the <clears throat> top three of the the bottleneck episodes. And yeah, it's it's odd that it's it's the only uh, instance of one of these bottle episodes occurring at the end of a series as well, which is which is quite unusual because series usually end on a high, whereas this. Very much mm. ended on a on a on a kind of it kind of flatlined through their bedtime, um, and it, it kind of for me, <clears throat> watching it from start to finish. This, apart from all the macabre stuff that that does occur in some of the sitcoms, but not many. This episode really just set it apart from other sitcoms of its generation, mm. really, um, and it was a real testament to Renwick's writing because I I I imagine this type of uh, episode is very very difficult to write. Because all of the humour has to come from dialogue. Very little of funny happens, apart from things like hedgehogs and carolines. But yeah. most of the laughs come from what they say rather than what happens to them. Yeah, and it's I quite a co- quite a cosy episode, isn't it? Because it's bedtime. I, when I watched it back the other day, I, I didn't realise how late it was into the night. It's something like three three thirty in the morning. Yeah, and Margaret mentions at one point. She in does, time, doesn't she? Yeah. And I always used to, I just envisaged it being about midnight. Of course, when I was watching, I go, "It can't be midnight because the the episode very subtly ends with daylight." Mm. So, yeah, I took, I I had to rewind the episode and find the bit. I thought they must have referenced the time. Of course, they did. Margaret does. It's at three three thirty. All right. Well, we could get on with the episode. We may as well start from the, the very beginning and do the usual talk through moment by moment. I I was saying to you off before I press record. I find it a little bit difficult these uh, single scene episodes because, in a way, very little happens. It's all the dialogue. It's, uh, but that's why I've got you on because I know that's your expertise. I think you can, uh, no, no pressure at all, Ben. But we'll <laughs> see what we'll see what happens. Uh, well, thank you. That's a lot to live up to. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how interesting we can make this. I've. Divided this sort of observational thing into six parts, really. I think part one in, it entails, well, the fact we learn they quite simply can't sleep. Well, Victor can't sleep. Margaret's actually, from what we see, she's, she is asleep at, at, at the start, more or less. I don't know. I mean, with the first thing we see is this sort of overhead shot of their bed, and it's kind of dimly lit in the room, and we see Victor on the left tossing and turning, obviously, <laughs> you know, doing his level best to make sure Margaret suffers with him um, yes. and fairly quickly she says try counting something so that suggests that she's uh, you know lucid to some extent i feel like she's probably been asleep and obviously Vic, like you say victor's that you know doesn't want to be he's always bitter that he can't get to sleep that margaret probably has got to sleep but yeah she 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 nodded off at one point i think that was um the man who blew away episode you know where the the Mr. Yes. Mr. at the party and she she said i'll just i just got off to sleep then and he woke her up but yeah, in this in this instance, this is owl noises, car alarms, sort of the opening part. But you were saying that this episodes like this do rely on great one-liners, and I remember reviewing this the first time round, 
on the podcast and I was I couldn't stop laughing that's the fitted sheets line bloody fitted sheets they never stay put look at this three times I wiped my nose in this thinking it was a handkerchief <laughs> I make the bed tomorrow I use a staple gun oh yeah got so that's... wound up and it's, it's obviously relatable because fitted sheets that just come away it is a frustrating thing if you're got an element of ocd about it, if things been a little bit tidy and i just he was just so angry at that he can wipe his nose however many times on it and he just <laughs> so he's at the end of his tether already i mean in their in their world they probably they were probably went to bed for four hours previous but as ever with victor he gets a bit unwell if he's too stressed so he's got a stomach ache um, yeah he's, he's 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 very sensitive isn't he and he's is <laughs> also we we also know he's a light sleeper because uh, in an end game he's he's kept awake by a little bit of light snoring by Margaret, yes, and ends up moving to the other room. Um, and I'm afraid I'm the same actually. I, I don't sleep well generally at all. I I, I sort of slip into a sort yeah. of semi-conscious state for eight hours, and the slightest thing can oh. sort of make me lucid again. So I, whereas I, my my other half he can he can sleep like a log and I'm the one that keeps him awake. So I'm the victor in this scenario. You're the victor. So you can very much empathize here. I don't know how Margaret, this is why I think Margaret is well on the way to sleep because, you know, he's got a stomachache. She asks whereabouts. (laughs) His left earlobe. Left earlobe. And then he starts talking about the dodgy pastor at uh, Margaret's mother's. uh, Yeah. And talking it like in such a way that, He's never had pasta before. I don't know. It's it's sort of taken the mick out of spaghetti bolognese, I think. I mean, there's references to spaghetti al Pacino. Yeah, she um, was putting together some some weird, from, from batshit, crazy recipe from a cutting that actually turned out to be not a recipe at all. <laughs> so it's, you go, make sure pasta what the, the hell Godfather. she put in it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's right. Parmesan cheese in the horse's head. Said. <laughs> at one point. And she said, oh, it's spaghetti al Pacino. <laughs> And she was obviously just reading a review of the was, film or something. Yeah. And Victor suspects, yeah, as a result, that's probably why he's got a bad tummy. But I just think yeah. he's just built up plenty of stress. And as he was trying to um, relax and go off to sleep, he starts trying to think of that film uh, about, you know, he's trying to describe Freddy, the Freddy Krueger franchise, isn't he? Yeah. He... Um, what's the film where you go to sleep and a man with spike fingers comes through the wall and starts slashing your face to bits? I think it's like. Something not a bridge like too a bridge too far is what Margaret, and that's because of a Hardy Kruger. So yeah, Hardy Kruger me. was an actor in the bridge. So I think she's mixing up Hardy Kruger with Freddy Kruger. But I was never really one hundred percent sure about that line. I think I think that's what the joke is there. That yeah, and and also yeah. I mean this this is very clear that Victor's just irritating Margaret to ask if she's asleep, and she's obviously trying to ignore him. And then yeah, I think he just does keeps, he, he's sat up at this point, hasn't he? He sort of half sits up and goes. Are you asleep? Are you asleep? <laughs> does he does he um say the Noel Edmonds sweater line to wind her up? Because that yes, that'll be brought think, yeah. up in Dreamland, won't it? Yeah, it's a sort of foreshadowing of Dreamland. He's obviously it's had a... his eye on one of these things for a long time. But yeah, it's it's his way of you're not asleep. I know you're not asleep, so I'm gonna wake you up by saying <laughs> something utterly perverse. I don't know what works. she's got against it. It's is uh she either just doesn't like that style or, or Noel Evans is not appreciated in that in that household by uh, Margaret. But yeah, it, it, it does was work. rejected even by a tramp, wasn't it, in Dreamland? So that's true, that's very true. Which I believe was hell. I believe that tramp was played by N. Rytel because he was obviously in Who's Listening, wasn't was, he? Yeah. 
and I believe he did the um again he's the voice one of the voices in um which John uh, Chalice did John yeah. Chalice did originally didn't he but he for some reason had to re-record it then right but anyway yeah he's he's popped up a couple of times and at this point um Victor can hear an owl hoot hooting an owl sound and he well an owl like sound which Margaret then reveals is probably Mrs. Mrs. Stebbins Ste- down Mrs. Stebbins. the corner it's like why is she hooting in the night <laughs> who does which that is, which is Part of the gag, isn't it? We we don't see a Mrs. Stebbings ever, do we? No, we've the... never seen her. We've seen her house because she's the one that has the aerial on the roof that grins at Victor in the web trickster on the roof. Yes, um, and it's the that house. I don't know if you knew this, by the way, but that's the same house uh, that the shopping trolley is on when they come I, back from holiday. I had to admit. Did you see my tweet a couple of months ago? I was watching uh, Warm Champagne. It is Warm I Champagne, remember, is it? Yes. Yes, and for some stupid reason, I never saw the trolley on top of the chimney. Uh, I, I find that quite remarkable how you missed that. Well, <laughs> it's it's not as bad though as um, broken reflection of not noting Albert's hat on fire. Yeah, I had to admit, I, mean, I don't know what the about... hell's going on. A, yeah. a couple of people, bless them, sort of on Twitter, sort of, you know, they did. They weren't too mean to me about it. They sort of could understand how I could miss it, but I don't understand how I could have missed that at all. But with the trolley on the, I just, I just don't, I can't explain why I would never have spotted that. I don't know if I just zone in and out of certain episodes subconsciously. Maybe and you've just in. seen it that many times that you just, you'd sort of watch it in a sort of passive mode. I just probably days. thought it was a, a TV aerial, but wasn't zoned because it, it it shows it for about a few seconds, isn't it? It's, it's it's almost yeah, it's a blink a and you miss shot. it. Yeah. Oh, it is a long shot. Okay, it's quite say. a long <laughs> shot. <laughs> it's not even a blink and you miss it. I was hoping you backed me up there, Ben, but no, no, fair sorry, enough. Sorry, sorry, no, I'm afraid not. Um, yeah, it's quite, <laughs> anyway. it's quite a, long, a, long, a long shot. But yeah, she's she's hooting, apparently, Mrs. Stebbing. She lives in a house with a with a smiling TV area, and she hoots. <laughs> I, the thing, I've, I've, I had a neighbour, actually, when, I, when I, uh, I lived in a shared house years ago, um, and she was a... Uh, quite a lonely old lady and I, I I didn't really give her as much sort of support and attention as perhaps I should have done right um, but what she used to had she had a dog her only real company was her dog and her dog died one one day um and she started um almost redirecting her affections towards the birds in her garden and she would go out and sort of sing at the birds to oh. try and coax them towards her um so I'd be woken up in the mornings by this woman making sort of sparrow noises in the garden. That's so I kind of wondered if Mrs. Stebbings was doing the same thing, possibly. trying to attract an owl. It's, it's, it's almost on the same lines as Vince talking to Talking his to his cucumbers, yeah, yeah. Uh, and possibly, he, I'd, I'd love to Vince. know, yeah, the background to Mrs. Stebbings and the noises she makes at that time of morning. But um, Victor looks out the window, doesn't he? And he can see a, a baby owl perched over the car, sort of sat on the television. Yeah. This is and the sort of thing. He's been watching this bird a while because he quite accurately predicts when it's going to do a shit on his car. And he's like, <laughs> absolutely right as well. Any second now, he's definitely going to. There. <laughs> oh, I can believe it. I, I think the, the car alarm sound is, although for anybody annoying and it would go right through but in the, it, it's very funny it's something mm. about that and you cringe don't you on behalf of them because the whole neighborhood is going to wake up to that and yeah i don't know there's there's that day-to-day anguish about birds shitting on our cars but who hasn't had a bird crap on their car if you park under a tree or 
directly under a phone line it's going to happen almost certainly yeah. um and obviously he's had these mentions he's twice had to uh, return the car to the mechanics because it's just a, such a sensitive alarm system mm-hmm. so i suppose it's better than not going off at all but if it's going to do this all the time you're going to be hated yeah. in the neighborhood aren't you probably a false positive is better than a false negative this is very I true think he uh he is pissing off all of his neighbors and it, <laughs> it sort of harks back to the sort of ever-present threat of the useless garage which has plagued him throughout his entire life and um sort of what i would say entering part two of the uh episode where the sort of topics discuss are sort of life's trivial matters rules of time like to, like to get your opinion on rules of time ben, oh, because you're big... sort of in that sort of in that career aren't you but uh, I well, I, I, I must, I, yeah but, <laughs> but before he, he embarks on that weird monologue about time he goes off to the bathroom and there's probably one of the weirdest throwaways oh. in, that I, <laughs> i've never understood to this day what's this packet of bisto doing in here <laughs> what What's this packet of bisto doing in the medicine cabinet? How do I know what it's doing? I can't even see it. How Renwick shoved this in and why? It was funny because, not just because it's random, but Richard Wilson has that art of delivering his lines in such a way, with such, it's such disbelief. And it's never addressed again, is it? What's this packet of bisto doing here? No, it's never referred to again. It's, it's just a, such a strange thing for a writer <clears throat> to inject into a script. And I, I wondered if there was some later scene that was maybe cut, or I don't, I don't know. It just seems so strange. I can't. I, I wouldn't think to do that as a writer, but then I'm not Renwick, so. I mean, it, it, it did immediately make me think of Only Fools and Horses in uh, I think Time on Our Hands, where Al, Uncle Albert gets the gravy and bist, uh, the bisto and coffee granules mixed ah, up. But that yes. that was actually. Uh, a gag which had a start middle and end point but yeah this it had is, a purpose, uh, had a purpose is... whereas this is i still laughed but like i said it's not addressed again and 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 you ever sort of like i say life's trivial matters or talking like the the last teaspoon at the bottom of a washing up bowl it, ha- it does happen. oh yes yes it, it does, does. <laughs> it does um, and it shouldn't because it's the lightest object like, you'd think it would be a, a more of a heavier object that was at the bottom but i don't know it's it just happens, doesn't it? And you've got to put your hand through the murky waters to collect. You know, it's it's not that big a deal, but that's the beauty of one in the grave because we're living through Victor Meldrew's emotions, day to day things that really grind grind our gears. Um, yeah, and the <clears throat> Ma- Ma- Margaret sort of start. You can sort of hear it in her voice. She's starting to lose patience at this point and says, "Will you just go to sleep?" <laughs> This this episode is more or less an excuse for David Remick just to reel off as many of these issues as possible. It must have been quite a therapeutic process, I think. I um, so. But yeah, like I said, Victor does start to get a little more deep in thought, which would only serve him to stay awake longer. Mysteries of the universe. Time and space. Life and death. Because this is where we learn it's about 3.15 in the morning. So, Christ, they've been at hours trying to get to sleep. I don't know why, if Margaret, say Margaret's got to sleep and keeps getting woken up, like you say, they've got a spare bedroom, haven't they? I think they've got two spare bedrooms. So I'd have yeah, thought she'd just... Yeah, the, the other one's not got a bed in it, though, yeah. But there's, there's, he could go down to the gear. sofa, he could go into the, the other front bedroom and, and sleep there, but he yeah. chooses... Or, or Margaret, there. like, if Margaret was at wit's end, just go into another room. But no, she's, why should she move, I suppose, to be fair? Yeah, yeah, he embarks on this bizarre sort of uh, speculation on the nature of time. 
this point. He mentions the, the the Hope and Keen double act. I had to look. I remember I had to look this up. The the Hope and Keen the first time. I'm not really that familiar with. Were they? Were, did their career sort of end by the uh, 1980s or something? Were they quite an old act? I'm not sure. I know they had a sketch show, but I've never seen it, and I don't know if it just suddenly ended or not. But I'll well, honestly... I, I it's much like the Bisto reference. It's not really anything comes of it other than he. I, I don't know if it's David having a little. Uh, I'm not say have a pop at them, but maybe just wanted to drop it in there that there's the generally is a comedy act that just aren't on our screens anymore. But he wanted to pay tribute somehow. But again, I, I, I don't know. I don't because we go straight into the deep stuff of it, uh, talking of time. Sort yeah. of past, present, and future. Nothing exists, and it's a, it's a clever bit of writing because what he says is true. So it's definitely mind-boggling, but it's, it's, Possibly, it's still funny. Yeah. It's he's trying to make a point how time passes, but he's sort of saying time doesn't exist. It's not entirely accurate. Time has existed. It just depends how you either phrase these things or or how you look at them. But what what were you sorry? What were you going to say on the the topic of time? We've only got <laughs> two hours probably to discuss this. <laughs> Um, right. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, what he what he actually said is that nothing ever exists, rather than that time doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, and he's 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 sort of referring to the fact that the past has gone because it's the past. Hmm. Um, the future isn't there because it hasn't happened yet, and the present isn't there because by the time you come to think about it, it's already elapsed into the past, and so you never really fully experience the present. I was working this out in the post office as I was waiting for that woman to finish twanging her elastic bands. <laughs> the future doesn't exist because it hasn't happened yet. The past doesn't exist because it's already over. But the present doesn't exist because as soon as you start to think about it, it's already in the past. <laughs> Which doesn't exist anymore. Sort of sums Victor up all over, doesn't it, really? Yes. But, I mean, it's it's possibly true. I mean, we don't really know much about the nature of time. Time, according to Einstein, is this sort of extra dimension that's sort of coupled onto the three dimensions of space. And the difference between space and time is if you're walking in space, if you're walking down a road, you can change the rate at which you walk down that road. You can change mm. your speed um, or you can go backwards. Whereas right. with time, you're kind of fixed onto this path. Yeah. Um, and on the road, the stuff in front of you that's there, whether you go past it or not, go past it or not. Um, and what we don't know is if that same thing is true of time, is is all of the stuff that's in the future already set in a sort of deterministic universe? Um, and if so, that means that the past and the present and the future all do coexist and can effectively be um, recovered. But There's a, there's a reason yeah. I had you on the podcast, Ben. <laughs> <clears throat> so it is it's somewhat, it is a deep sort of analysis by Victor, but it all go, we know what's coming. <laughs> we know what's coming when Annette, Let's out a net. Sorry, Margaret lets out a you know. Will you shut up? Oh, that's when she finally it. loses it. Yeah, and and like, will you like going on about like what, what does she call him? Vitus dance was in Monday morning. No, it's rabid parrots. That's it, rabid parrots. Rabid parrots. And then she's like, "Now I'm awake. Thank you very much." <laughs> and so is that. When I said that's gone forever now as well, that's gone forever now as well. Oh, for God's sake, will you shut up, Victor? <laughs> Jabbering on there all the while like a rabid parrot. Vic 
Victor's just delighted at this point because now she's in the same position as she's him. She's got to share the burden of not being able to go to sleep. Well, they share me. the misery with each other all the time. I mean, when Margaret's in a bad mood, everybody suffers. I mean, look at the way she treated him in Endgame. Um, when she was feeling old and unattractive in one foot in the Algarve, everybody else had to suffer. When she was feeling unloved in Love and Death, everybody else had to suffer. So there was bad Very good point. That, that's that's poss- possibly why they're, they're well suited. When it, yeah. Yeah, but when push comes to shove, though, we've seen Victor so many times there for Margaret when she's not at her best. And he, he'll do the same at the end of the episode, I, I think, in a small way, when mm. there's a bit of a revelation. Um, but just to, out, just to highlight you know how long they it, it feels like they've been trying to get to sleep as Victor's line about are we in the Euro, European single market yet? <laughs> Which I believe were, from were we in the I think 1992 was right. I Google it. I know it was, I, I thought it was a late 80s thing, but it was yeah, early 90s. So I think by the, it's, it's 1990, isn't it? Series two, yeah, end of 1990. Yeah, yeah, probably... when they open Ronnie and Mildred's present later on in the episode, it was 1990, wasn't it? Yeah, Margaret's doing a, a uh, crossword just to help her get back to sleep. And yeah. She speaks of a, an old friend that visited the florist at Charlie Maysfield. Ah, yes, yes. And he came into the shop with his wilting hibiscus. And I, I, I didn't know what a wilting, I didn't know what a hibiscus was. Obviously, I should have known she meant a plant, but I just thought it. I, th- I thought it could have meant something else, but I, 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 I'm going to assume you knew what a, a, a hibiscus was or a wilting hibiscus was. But I sort of didn't. And I know that sounds stupid, but I just had to go, just in case it's something, it's not something else completely. But it was just one of these, you sort of, you do feel sorry for Victor. She's, she's, be, this Charlie Macefield is clearly somewhat, I don't know, neuro, neurologically deranged. challenged or deranged, but he is quite certain <laughs> Victor's not alive. Cause he, 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 I think it sounds like they were, they go back a while. Victor seemed quite pleased that she saw him. How is he doing? Uh, or did he ask after me or something? Words to that effect. And yeah, she, that was it. We... Yeah. And she, he seemed to be under the impression you were dead. And we had quite an <laughs> argument about it. Yeah, it's both funny and tragic. Victor doesn't quite know how to accept this. I think Margaret, she said that she had to have quite the argument with him before she just. Sort yeah, of he, he, was, he was convinced that he died during Wimbledon fortnight when apparently some somebody called Jimmy Connors got knocked out. So that um, that just makes the joke funnier when it's a very specific moment yeah, in time. Yeah, that that Charlie was like adamant because he could align it with a certain point in time that he was familiar with. Yeah, um, and he, he, Victor had, had requested apparently that his ashes get scattered in allied carpets, <laughs> um, which, to be fair, is exactly the kind of thing Victor would do. So <laughs> like, they're still going allied carpets. Are they really? Yeah, of course. I had to oh, Google. But yeah. Okay. But the the uh, Wimbledon um, reference, I'm sure there's a Nick Swaney moment where he talks of his was it a great aunt or fell out of a hot air balloon onto the middle of a, a tennis, tennis court match. In Droitwich, yeah. In Droitwich during a, yeah. a, a tie break or something. She it, was it, it, an albatross in a hot air balloon, yeah. <laughs> it makes all the funny when they're that specific with detail. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it would have been as funny if Charlie Mace would just said, oh, I know... I just think he's dead because no reason. I just think it because he could reference a, a moment in time for some it's reason. Also it's also funny, funny that, that that Charlie just doesn't believe his wife when he says no, he's not dead. I still live with him. I'm going home to him now. I'm pretty sure he's not. They obviously think each other are senile at this point. So yeah, well, it's it's nice to have a little bit of background to the relationship, though. Like you know, Victor seems like seem to think of him as somewhat somewhat fondly, albeit mm. briefly, but. 
yeah, apparently it was a bit of a petty war going on. I don't, I'd love to know a bit more about that, but we, of course, don't. I found this sex change a bit series one, actually, when Margaret was a bit more of a foil for Victor and she used to come out with these sort of lines that just made Victor more <laughs> more angry. And they, yeah. they became more sort of allies in adversity towards, you know, series three, four and five. But yeah, Margaret saying this did put me in mind of the, the Margaret of series one. If the Meldrews have been in this house a matter of weeks in Riverbank, so obviously we're at series two, and Charlie, this Charlie chap thought, Victor died the year before. And I was just trying to think of the storyline in series one where I think there was a carpets that they took the carpets up in think in an eternal quadrangle. Yes. And I just wondered if that's to do with Charlie, because Victor was a bit annoyed that it was the job wasn't done properly or something. So I wonder if it's unofficially linked to that. Oh I maybe. Trying, I'm saying that like it's just come to me, but I thought of it at the time when I was writing my notes. So I, that wasn't me just cleverly th- linking a storyline. I, I had to think about that when I was, uh, yeah, watching this the other day. But yeah, we, obviously we did. There's no answer to that. But I was thinking there must be a carpet reference from series one, and and there is. And also there's the, the so does Margaret mention oh Broadmoor enter? Oh Broadmoor, yeah. Carrying I have a, a Tesco Broadmoor in my head, yeah. But th- that was just a one-liner because Broadmoor is a funny nickname, of course. Carrying a toilet seat everywhere she goes. In a Tesco carrier bag, yeah. <laughs> and that, there's nothing more to it than that, because it's just funny, broad more. Well, yeah, she's she's somebody that's just frightened of stuff. Um, she's frightened of what else is it? Salmonella, Listeria, <clears throat> and then I think, it, is it man-eating fungus that comes up through the drains? She probably oh, and poisonous algae. Poisonous, poisonous algae, algae, yes. We don't have many um, nicknames in One for the Grave, do we? They're all Mr. or Mrs. something with a Renwicky-type name, but this is broad Maud. Dodgy Douglas. Any... Dodgy Douglas, okay. Um, Apart from that, any any more? Beetroot George. What, what's Beetroot George? I can't remember that. Beetroot George was in, um, was it the Valley of Fear where he was, well, it might have been the Valley of Fear, I don't know that series one episode as well. Sounds uh, series one-y. When he got attacked while he was okay. out photographing yeah. badgers and he had all those people around. I think one of them okay. was Beetroot George. I stand corrected twice then. But apart from Chippy Joe. Three... Chippy, Chippy Joe. Okay. Forget that segment. I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in just for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah. But a pa- okay. uh, Broadmoor's husband is also scared of spiders. spiders as well. Yeah. Um, well, he, he's got that in common with um, Patrick. Patrick then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, Margaret's a, a finisher crossword. Still annoyed she's awake. She goes to get a milky drink. In this day and age, there'd be some, there'd be a fancy coffee name to that milky drink, a flat white or I don't know. Victor asked, or something. It's only I've never heard of putting a drop of rum in a, in a milky drink because I think that would curdle, would it not? Oh, rum I'm milk. a vegan. I don't use milk. So of course, no. It'd be oat milk, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. This, it sounds disgusting. Anyway, whilst I think is this the point? This is the moment where Victor's so bored. He gets up and tries to look for something to read. A brief history of time. All the autobiography oh. of Reg Varney. <laughs> yes, bloody book, book club. clubs. Yeah, he's sort of pacing around the bedroom at this point, and I think this is where he goes to the wardrobe and and says he to, to sort of assuage his boredom, he'll, he'll open last year's present from Ronnie and Mildred. Before we get into that, I just thought it's a very podcasty thing to do, but it's an interesting angle of their bedrooms, almost like a side-on view. Which yeah, is this? I th- I thought this was recorded in front of a studio audience. I thought most episodes were, 
but it couldn't have been because you can see the fourth wall almost. Can you? Oh, you can, yes. So um, is that so either they did some of it in front of a live audience or none of it in front of a live studio audience? Because I well, suppose can... bot- bottleneck episodes, it, they're going to make mistakes if it's just single scene. So they probably need to be cut in all the time, I imagine. But I just noticed for that, if you, I don't know how many minutes in it is, but yeah, you can see, yeah, you can see the mirror, Margaret's sort of makeup station, chest yeah. of drawers. So yeah, it wasn't in front of a live studio audience. I think it's, I don't think it was, I think the trial also wasn't done in front of an audience. No, it wasn't. See, no. You were in the dust? fourth wall in, um, in the living room as well. I think they can fly the fourth wall in. Right. And take it away and reveal the audience. So I think for some scenes, they'll just close off the set so mm-hmm. that if they're, if they're filming from that angle. But I guess your other get Richard Drew would probably know better. He probably would. I mean, there's Chris Gernon's on Twitter and she, you know, she's mm. responsive. So she's very, very helpful with any extra information you need. I mean, she was on the, you know, she's part of the team from the very beginning, which is, you know, quite remarkable, really. So she's probably, she probably knows she had quite a number of jobs behind the scenes up to director so it's continuity at first wasn't she Chris? yeah something like that um production assistant few other yeah. few other jobs so yeah it was great having her on because badger of so many questions and occasionally i do drop her a whatsapp say what about this uh she must get annoyed <laughs> i've only sent a couple <laughs> but she actually she did send me a message with some useful names that i could probably contact to get on just you know camera crew any oh, other nice. sort of so probably be worth because those are the sorts of interviews where you can really go geek heavy on on the, fi- the finer detail that I think the cult of the audience would like to hear. I think average fans yeah. aren't probably too bothered. But anyway, sorry, he's not going to read a book. He's he's straighten up the <laughs> straighten up the photo on the wall, which will which is sort of lean up to a gag in a moment. But yeah, as a last resort to cure boredom, he does decide that he said locate last year's Christmas present. From Ronnie and Mel- Mildred, which I think that's the first time they're mentioned, isn't it? At this point, Ronnie and Mildred. Oh, it it might be, you know, yeah. What 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 would stop him from opening up a Christmas present? It, would it just um, bring on some sort of torment? Is it just a reminder that how much they dislike Ronnie and Mildred? Would it just would it um, affect his stomach? You know, you know, when you just there's something you're so anxious about, or if there's somebody you don't want to face or talk to, and perhaps in some people have that effect on you so i imagine I if he opens probably... that present it's gonna be because you think the the autobiography the autobiography of reg varney would be the type of present they give victor and margaret obviously that's yeah. my book club but I, I i wonder what i wonder what it was but we'll never know I, I don't i don't think it's probably i don't think there's any sort of trauma involved in in these presents i think he just finds those two so unbelievably tedious that there's yeah nothing to gain from opening their presents there's, there's no benefit to his life from whatever they've bought him. And I think in a later episode, we see that they've actually started to stockpile several years of presents in their wardrobe, and one of them smells. <laughs> yeah. Or is it Margaret notices at some point? There's a strange... Um, and actually, in, yeah. in, a, in another episode, you see um, in their spare room, the one where Victor's keeping all his magic tricks, there's a there's a pile of presents in there, which I assume are... Right, okay. Are a, a cache of stuff from Ronnie and Mildred. Right, okay. Because I, because I was querying the when when they got that present from Ronnie and Mildred, I thought if they only be in that house a matter of weeks. Why have they? They've obviously received that in their last house, Wingate. Mm. Why would they take it with them? But no, this 
yeah, so they just stockpile it. The two, they don't feel obliged to throw away these things uh, just in case they get found out. Yeah, he's doing a few bits around the room, uh, refitting the sheet again. Yeah, yeah. straightening the photo frame. And this is when the telephone rings. <laughs> Four two nine one. What? Yes, it is straight. <laughs> what do you mean not from where you are standing? <laughs> you can't see from right across the road, I know. Hey, what are you doing up at this time of the Oh, can't you? Yes, I'm sorry about that. They were supposed to have fixed it, but you know what it's like with garages. <laughs> And I believe it's he doesn't say it's Mr. Mrs. Ellsbury, but she lives across the road. And she, this has always bothered me about this. They, they live across the road where there are no houses. No, there's no house, is there? But <laughs> in some shots, though, I think in Who Will Buy, when they've got the Bendy Dinosaur salesman, you've got behind him a obviously a backdrop of houses on a, a very wobbly backdrop, very wobbly, backdrop. swaying in the breeze. Yeah, so it was supposed to believe. There are houses opposite, but of course, in Dawn of Man, Victor, yeah, there's a park. We go into the parking space there. There's a parking space, yeah. yeah. So you might have to just believe that in that scene in Dawn of Man, Margaret is parked in someone's dri- someone's driveway because you can see behind them is their house. But yeah, the, the phone calls amusing because all all it, all it takes is for Victor to say yes, it is straight. He doesn't need to say anything else. We know what they're. I know it's when he says, um, why the hell are you, I know it's not word for word, why the hell are you calling anyway this hour? Oh, I'm sorry. You know it's because, yeah, the car alarm has come yeah. back to haunt them, really. It's, it was always going to wake somebody up. But None I think it's mentioned Elf. explicitly, is it? Which is it's the not. really nice thing about this. Is you know <laughs> you paint the picture yourself. With very few clues. Yeah. But it, it was Mrs. Ellsbury's mother who rang in Series 6, wasn't it? But to, to ask Victor to get out of the way of the 50-inch TV. If you took it to fly, I'm sure. Uh, yes, it was. It the, was um, the Executioner's song. Yeah, Executioner's song, and I think "Fair of the Hollow Lady" wasn't it? When Victor had to break in through the window, and the phone rang, he said, "Yes, it's me. I know oh, it is." Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So why, why do you think I'm doing it? All oh, because the lady loves milk <laughs> um, and in Monday morning we'll be fine. He's standing on that 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 ottoman to try and see um, Columbo on their TV as well. Yes, the there's a lot of this neighbourly thing going on. A lot of these. Uh, interfering neighbourly habits, should we say? Not neighbourly habits, but neighbouring habits, should we say? I don't know. But, so at this but, point, Margaret comes back up with these these drinks and um, explains yeah. that there's, the milk was off, so she had to use powdered and yeah. they're, they're out of rum. And no, yes, it's not the original requested uh, beverage that you wanted. I suppose it's... Um, so I, I mentioned it, like the, the HP Spicy Sauces posted them in Wingate. They're drinking powdered milk, which is posted to them, as well as some new shampoo. So it's that thing of, it it doesn't happen anymore, does it, where you get a free sample? You don't often get free samples sent to you anymore on on Stuck to Magazines, but it was very much a uh, a thing in the 1990s. You just get inundated with freebies. We did actually post off some, um, as an aside, we post off some freebies, and we we got uh, washing washing tablets and dishwasher tablets, like in... Mm -hmm. uh, that was good because as an adult, <laughs> those things are, are welcome because they, they cost money, but get them for free. You just got to sign a, a quick form and actually save a few quid. But it's not of interest when you're younger. But uh, yeah, what was, 
Oh, yeah. So I think this is where they actually tried to go to sleep now properly for the first time in the episode. It's almost halfway in. They're actually tr- both trying to go to sleep. But typically, Victor's leg. How many times has this happened in the episode in the series where it starts twitching? It's a common theme, isn't it? It's, he has something with his legs up, in bed. <laughs> um, in Return of the Speckled Band, he, he had a problem with his leg in bed, but that turned out to be because he had a python next to him. Python on the yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but, I think yeah. this set this set up the funny line from Marcus. Here we go again. Ministry of Sin. He walks. Yeah, because he, he gets does. out of bed and does this ridiculous sort of strange march through the room with his with his right <laughs> leg coming up extremely high. Um, and Margaret's saying, "Look, you just don't. You don't do anything. You, don't, you, yeah. right? you just you just sit around fretting about everything under the sun." <laughs> but the thing is, the number of times Margaret slightly ridiculed him for having a, a hobby. So is there any wonder he gives up and just does nothing at home, sits down and and uh, finds things to be negative about? Well, that's about. it. Every time he does embark on some interest that he's developed, she just stamps on it straight away and then yeah. she complains that he's not doing anything. So he really can't win. What I don't understand about this is right, when he goes into the he goes into the bathroom with his dodgy leg and 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 then you hear the loo flush. And I always wondered if it was the same procedure that he was doing in threatening weather where he just stuck his foot into the toilet and flushed it. Because there's not enough time, he's not in, in there long enough to do anything else. Well I wanted I I, I wanted to know if that's the case later on with the, the hedgehog muck on his foot because he does he does Go off to the bathroom, doesn't he? No. Margaret, Margaret cleans it off manually, and I was thinking at the time, surely that would take more than just a few Kleenex tissues to clean that off. But he does. I'm sure he goes to the bathroom. He doesn't. He just gets straight back into bed. Does he? Does he? Yeah. I've I've often wondered about if I'd stood in a hedgehog and then walked around in it up the stairs and then into the room, it would take more than a Kleenex that that Margaret had. To make me comfortable, I'd be going around checking the carpets for blood. No, I just watching it now. Ninety minutes, forty-two seconds, and he goes to another room. I presume it's the bathroom. Yeah, have a look. Okay, I haven't got it open, but um, okay. I just thought I I just thought I verify that. I thought he just went straight back to bed. When I was watching, I thought I was writing my notes, going, "How can he not get this properly washed?" And then he does get up. Anyway, that's that's a little bit later, but yeah. I love Margaret's squawking or squ- uh, her, hor- her horrified squeaky. You've got your foot in a rotting hedgehog. It's sort of, it's sort of <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a, a natural trait from Annette. She's just got that ability to. Anyway, sorry. Um, she's very so... good at screechy noises, isn't she? She's very good growling as well. <laughs> mm. Victor is um, late. Goes back to I think yeah. She goes back to bed, raising his leg in the air. So he's obviously got cramp, and I've. I've done this. I think you'll see athletes, footballers, they get cramped. They're playing an extra time or whatever. Half of them are on the floor with their legs in the air, just straighten them out. So that it, that does work. Right. But ironically, <laughs> as there's a bit of peak, he starts snoring, doesn't he? And the and the yeah, car he's arm finally getting off to sleep. Finally goes off with his leg in the air. Did you ever? And... You, uh, this might be a weird question, but have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to sleep or gone into a sort of snooze mode with you, with your arm vertically up in the air while you've been in bed? Some, I, I have. I think I have. I know. I know what you mean. I used to do that a lot. I've no idea. What, I can't explain <laughs> it at all. But sometimes I just sleep with my arm in the air for no reason at all. Well, for some for some reason, Victor can go to sleep with his leg, yeah, vert- literally yeah. vertically positioned facing the ceiling before the car alarm goes off for a second time yeah there's a few minutes of blissful silence while they're both obviously getting some sleep at last and then 
then it and, just starts and the orange yeah. flashing lights coming in through the window and they just you, both leap out of bed. You do feel for them because at this point, yeah, the the, the, the battery on the key is dead. And that's quite ahead of its time, 1990. I don't know what point in because every car you get now will have a uh, remote locking mechanism. But yeah, yeah, fortunately they, they couldn't switch it off, so we had to uh, dash dash off outside to. Um, he said, "Switch it off underneath the bonnet." I wouldn't know how to do that, would you? How I would, would you... have no idea. I, I would. I'd, I'd have no, no idea how to sort that out. Um, I think I just end up. I think I just drive it out of the close um, to like to cut to the countryside to deal with just to the nearest countryside. <laughs> Just, just to get, just to make the noise stop as quickly as possible. I would not know how to stop a an alarm manually if it kept going off. I wouldn't have a clue. I'm not well versed in these matters, I'm afraid. Yeah, not at but all. Yeah, it turns out after he leapt out of bed, he, he he looked out the window and and diagnosed that it was a cat on his bonnet. Of course, a cat. Yeah. This time, rather than a rather than a bird. Yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't just. I would. I don't know why he wouldn't use the uh, why, why the the baby owl wasn't written in. For a second time, because it obviously crapped the first time. But I don't suppose owls are known to be sitting on top of cars, are they? They're always up high, I presume. Uh, I would cats, think so. Yeah. Uh, is this the moment he said he was just setting off, having a dream about a uh, the uh, the Loch Ness being drained, only to find a large teaspoon? Sixty at the foot of it? teaspoon. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Is that um, a bit later on? That's a, that's a fun. That's it a is funny here. Joke. It is here. <laughs> He's, doing, he's saying that while Margaret's pulling the pins out of his foot. Oh, that's okay. So I'm a bit, I'm going a bit ahead there. Of course, he, yeah, I've just, re- I've just remembered. You're right. He does go back to the loo. He, he does. He does. And, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. But he returns um, to sort of thing that would get complaints, wouldn't it? Like the cat in the freezer. But Margaret notices something on his foot. Victor, what on earth's that you've got on your foot? Yeah. Oh! When that light switches on, she lets out that horrified noise, which that makes me laugh probably more than the sight of him accidentally putting his foot in a dead hedgehog, a rotting hedgehog. And it's absolutely grim, isn't it? That is the moment where she, yeah, she she helps clean. She's very, very mother. She's very motherly, Victor, isn't she? You think you just, I, if you were Margaret, you might say, you sort that out. Go go to the bathroom, put that in the, (laughs) put your foot in the. Well, not in the toilet, but in the in the bathtub, and clean that. She's does that for him. Like I said, yeah, at the she time, I just him. she does. She because he's. I think there is a generation of man. I think who are pretty useless without their wives. They, you know, where where you know being homely is concerned. Whether it's laundry, you know, cooking. There's a generation of man that still exists. It's not a pop, but that generation. It's just how it is. But. Obviously yeah, you hear about these men whose wives have died, and and they don't know how they take their own tea. Because mm. they've never made it. They're completely useless. So, mate, mm. I mean, Victor's somewhat, he's an independent chap. He can make beans on toast. He, he can do the laundry to a certain extent. But I suppose in, was it man, the man who blew away? He, he thinks he shrunk the uh, <laughs> Yeah, the kids, clothes. kids he, clothes. Yeah, so he's stretching them. But he, for some Margaret. reason, he, he put, either he or Margaret put, hung the, the clothes up to, to dry in what was obviously December. So I don't know why she ever got she got asked with him because she he left out for too long and it all became frozen solid. Mm. But anyway, that's another <laughs> that's another episode entirely. So that's the I suppose the first and only practical joke in this episode. Is there anything else 
relating to? I don't think so. At this point, yeah, because he comes back from the loo and says, I might as well have taken that job as a night watchman and then goes on about applying oh, for yeah. the job as the Duchess of York <laughs> and says they could always do it city and guilds in grinning. And then there's a kind of inane grin at Margaret, who's obviously not watching. She's just trying to get back to sleep. Of course, he's more than experienced to be a night watchman. He's, he worked in security, so he would have, uh, you know, I think it was a time before minimum wage, wasn't it? So he, he referenced they wouldn't, he wouldn't have got paid hardly anything, but he would have got him out of the house, that's for sure. I'll yeah, be at night. Right. He said they were offering a pittance, so he didn't take it, which, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, really. And then just suddenly out of left, left field, he just says, remember the first time we ever slept together. I was going to get to that, but also, Joy, just before we get into that, he, he suspects that um, when he switched the, the car alarm off, he, he he reckons the mechanics have been joyriding the car because he could smell seaweed from the exhaust. It's, yeah, it's making massive thing? assumptions. I don't know. That's the point where you know it's the, the hedgehog, but uh, I, I can imagine the mechanics doing that to Victor, joyriding his car just because they don't like him and they haven't yeah. seemingly got a lot of respect for him because he probably is always complaining, but. Well, if you're complaining about your car, it's because they haven't done the job correctly. But I suppose it's the way he speaks to speaks to them, as we saw with Nick Maloney in the first series. Mind you, we don't know how many times he's gone back with the same problem. You're going to get irate, aren't you? Well, I don't know why. I mean, even Margaret said to him in one episode, I don't know why you keep going back to that fly-by-night garage in the first place. I think <laughs> yeah, he, he just... I don't think Victor would be happy if he went to a garage that actually fits his car because it would reduce the number of things he has the right to complain about. And he really liked complaining. So. He'd, he'd love that. Okay, therapeutic for sure. I think yeah. the the hilarity of the the hedgehog thing was the fact he thought it was a slipper. So does that mean the rotting hedgehog was inside the house? Because I presume you don't go outside then put your slippers on. No, because he. I think he said at one point his slipper came off and it, oh, it was just perspiration. Right. So he, he then. Okay. Do you think this is worse than the frozen cat moment? By worse, I mean what's more horrific? I suppose the cat moment because that cat went in there alive, presumably. Whereas the yeah, hedgehog was already dead. Cat, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of exposure to innards, <laughs> the hedgehog is probably worse. It's but a bit harsh, In terms though. of the, the death, it's probably worse for the cat than the hedgehog that probably died of something. That was a bit mean that he just chucks the hedgehog out of the, uh, the dead hedgehog out the window. At the it cat. It hits the cat, it's... yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've said this before, but I, I wish I'd called this podcast One Foot in the Hedgehog. Because it, it would have been a very, a very, <laughs> a very niche title that a slet fee would would have would get straight away. Oh, but that would have been brilliant. Sh- I should have done one foot in the hedgehog would have been perfect. Anyway, yeah. it's all right. One foot in the podcast. Yeah, got this far. Um. Anyway, so yeah, he does go to the bathroom, washes it off. Whether he puts his foot in the toilet or or not, I don't know. Because he does, like you said, he does that in threatening weather, doesn't he? Just keep mm, cool. Does, yeah. Yeah. That 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 is then when he said he was just getting off and have he was already he was asleep for about seven seconds he had already experienced a dream but that does happen doesn't it you can dream what seems like a a film's worth of dreams like you you think you've been asleep for hours but it's only 12 minutes and i just dreamt of like so much in that time but so i can believe i mean it's timeless time so time relative to reality is worlds apart it's light years apart so i can believe that he did dream that even though it's only he's only asleep for a few seconds, getting on towards the final. God, it does go quick, doesn't it? This is a thirty-minute. There's yeah. not much has happened, but it certainly passes by quickly. I mean, quicker than this podcast, obviously, because we're wrapping on. Yeah, the actual episode itself is by now. We're we're entering the, the final part of this uh, end point of the show, and this is when they start reminiscing. Victor reminisces 
but when they first slept together, or did, did Margaret ask that question? I can't remember. And he, Victor says, yeah, no, he does. It was the Victor, yeah. Bloody dripping tap, which obviously... Margaret caused... says, how could I forget when he asked the <laughs> question? And then Victor goes, that bloody dripping tap, which if you this is the first time you've slept with someone is an odd thing to remember. Well, because in... Um, was it Rearranging the Dust? They, they speak about their, their sort of first encounter or Margaret's first encounter with a completely wrong man. Yeah, they, which happened outside. Do... Yeah, but there's only a couple of times they talk about how they met and the, their sort of intimate moment. They're very, because in Love and Death, he's very, I don't think he's insecure with sex or just an old fashioned man. He just doesn't seem to believe in the nature of having sex or talking about it after a certain age. Whereas Margaret obviously does, and she shows in that episode a little bit of, re- she's quite resentful of Victor for, you know, putting him under that bracket of basically being too old to have sex yeah i don't know if it's anything he specifically believes necessarily Mm. that he's too old to have sex or is in any way prudish i just think he has a much lower sex drive than she does and he just forgets that that there's a difference and that maybe he should sort of remember margaret's needs a bit more often than he doesn't because he's quite a thoughtless guy i i just liked how Margaret's going over over victor's quirk like sucking his thumb sometimes sleeping uh, diagonally across the bed (laughs) Sometimes he eats like her her thumb, yeah. cuddling, cuddling his hot water bottle like a teddy. Which I, I feel like night because he was looking for the squeaker. I feel like this part of the scene is just to paint a bit of a background to their relationship and how the little things they discovered about each other would obviously subconsciously make them love one another more. And um, they used to sing as well. He taught, I he love that. His, oh no, no, what is it? He, he, said, he, he, he said, said you used to speak, no, you used to speak in your sleep. Yeah, she come back with singing your sleep. Which I I generally laughed aloud because that is just ridiculous singing in your sleep. <laughs> it's like the it's a tennis match of of digs, and she just kept coming back with something like more Worse ridiculous than he yeah. could possibly accuse her of. But he, apparently, he even used to give himself intros, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of David Whitfield, and he'd get three minutes of Cam. Is it Cam, Cam Marina Barana or something? I can't remember something like that. If you can't remember, I can't remember. And then if it, if if he'd had a lump of cheese. Used to get a selection from Eddie Calvert, which who who I think was a trumpeter. So presumably that's a flatulence remark. <laughs> well, it will be then if if he's a trumpeter. That's what she, that's rather that's, than an that's where they go with that. Yeah. yeah, and we hear the subtle clinking of milk bottles. That's a, that's the beginning of the end. That's the sound that none of us want to hear. Though a sleepless night, obviously, apart from the the sun rising, you don't want to be hearing. Well, well milk, milkman and delivering on newspapers generally isn't a thing for the most part, but any kind of noise that is made during sunlight hours is just depressing. When, but it's basically when the sun comes up, you go, oh my God, I, I, I'm done for now. Because you, th- there's been times in my life where I've given up with the idea of going to sleep and I'll try and do something sort of fairly practical, even if it's only reading, which is not practical such, but reading's better than just sat there wallowing with the fact you can't fall asleep. But yeah. I, I completely relate. I'm sure we all relate to Victor here when you just think, oh, that's it now. Like you say, you don't really see, you don't, you don't really hear, or, well, there aren't really milkmen anymore. No. Um, but the worst thing is when you when you get up in the night to go to the loo, you've absolutely no idea what time it is, and you don't want to look outside in case you mm. see that sort of blue hue that, that suggests <laughs> that the sunrise is coming. If I need to go for a, you know the toilet in the middle of the night, there's two things that will stop me. The fact it's freezing cold, <laughs> and the idea is I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep afterwards. So I yeah. try and sometimes I I know you shouldn't do it, but I try and battle it and go, no, go back to sleep. You can wait till the morning. 
I mean, eventually, once I get older... for me. I have, I have to just get up and... and, and Nine obey. times out of ten, I will, to be fair, but... I mean, as, as you get older, you're not going to hold it in forever, so you're just going to have to... <laughs> go yeah, but yeah, I'll um, do it while you can, then. When they talk about the newspaper boy, or delivering the newspapers, um, this is where we get a bit of insight into... Not really an insight, but Margaret's mother, who is a... She's really a conservative with a small C, which yeah. Victor comes back with... You know, Joseph Goebbels was a Nazi with a small N, which is a bit of a pop at <laughs> the Daily Mail. And he goes off on a monologue on how modern media would be printed if it was anything like the history books. Can you imagine if the history books had been written the same way as the newspapers are written? 1215, King John signs the Magna Carta. 1216, King John showed a shapely ankle when the wind blew up his cloak at Runnymede, sparking off rumours that he might be in a super new low-calorie diet. <laughs> Potty Pankhurst at it again. The slaughter of the innocents. No British babies believed to be involved. I think he suddenly gets a bit, uh, does get a bit deep and dark now when he talks about the slaughter of the innocents. No British babies believed to be involved. And it's at this that point, moment. Margaret opens her eyes. He opens yeah. her eyes, sorrowful music playing, and he immediately apologises. And she's just sort of staring off into the distance, isn't she? She, she reassures Victor, it's okay, don't worry. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking. Sorry. Burbling on as usual, the first thing that came into my head, you don't know what you're saying. I know. I do it myself sometimes. <sighs> I was thinking about him just this morning, funnily enough. Running into Guinness outside the post office with Michael. She had him just the four days before, if you remember. She was coming out of hospital just as I was going in. He's still working for that insurance company. They're talking about moving him to his own branch up north somewhere. She'll miss him. She never had any others. He'd just bought his mum an ice cream and then he was going to run her up to the doctors. It doesn't seem five minutes since it was the other way round. I always think of Stuart when I see him. God, he's enormous now. His eldest girl's just starting at the secondary. I wonder what he would have gone into. I wonder if he'd have gone into insurance. Not if I did my way. You make so many plans for your life when you're young. I don't know what I imagined I'd be doing when I was 55. Seemed like so far in the future it had never happened. A year was an eternity when you were a child. The time between one Christmas and the next. Yes, about two months now. <laughs> Draping tinsel over the Easter eggs before long. <laughs> Why can't they let you live your life at your own speed? And yeah, we just learned something very dark. It, 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 we're not told straight away, are we? It's just it's it's a very subtle way of telling someone is missing from their their lives. And obviously, we learn that this is their son Stuart. She bumped into a Glynis. Obviously, not the Glynis we <laughs> we know of in that the final episode. Husband. That yeah. killed her husband. But when she when she's saying that this Glynis is with Michael, who would be he was born a few days younger than Stuart. You're thinking at what point? What, where's this going? It's, it's when she says, does she say something? I'd love to know where he'd be now if he'd be doing the same thing. So you think, oh my goodness, you're talking 
very much what what the what ifs. If we had a son, what would he be do? What would he be doing now? Because obviously she she must look fondly at Linus's son because he's basically born at the same time, doing the same kind of thing. I think she she was uh, she she was saying, "I want to be going into insurance." And obviously Victor p- would pipe up, not if I had anything to do with it, but. That doesn't really yeah, get a laugh. We, we learn that that Michael has gone into insurance, and 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 yeah, I think she would look at Michael as a sort of proxy for how her son might look because they're approximately yeah. the same age. Does she reference her age as be fifty five? I'm sure she does. It's a bit because in the Algarve she says she's nearly sixty, which is ninety three, isn't it? In, end of ninety three. So I don't know. Yes, I think she does because she's talking about oh. Is this where she talks about all of the things you were going to do that never came to anything? Something she's like talking that. Because she's at 55. And then they, they talk about the time between Christmases. That's right. Um, yeah. It used to be an eternity when you're young, but Victor says it's about <laughs> two months now and they'll be draping tinsel over the Easter eggs next. I feel like in Who's Listening, he talks about how soon Christmas starts in the retail world. Yeah, he um, says it's a four-month trade fair organised by retailers and advertisers. He's mm. absolutely right, isn't he, really? Because Margaret says a year was like an eternity when you were a child. I just love how this episode depicts what life is like when you're, you're aimlessly thinking about things, about the past and its meaning, and, and how most of us tend to replicate the same pattern of thinking. So whether it be about teaspoons appearing at the bottom of a bowl or what your hopes and dreams might be when you were younger, it's, it's very relatable. So you've read the One Foot in the Grave book, the first one, haven't you? And I just a wanted a long to, time ago, yeah. I just wanted to read the segment about Stuart Meldrew for anyone who doesn't know. Stuart Meldrew will not be referenced ever again. Uh, they won't talk about his son. You don't see pictures. He's never, there's never any kind of throwback to them having a son ever again in the rest of the series. So I'm just going to read this bit, which um, I've taken from the book. So. Stuart Meldrew was born on Tuesday, September the 4th, 1951. On Wednesday, September the 5th, 1951, he went off with another woman. Victor and Margaret were shocked to the core, and so were the doctors, and the police, and the authorities, and just about everyone who read of the affair in the local newspaper. More accurately, of course, another woman went off with Stuart, boldly and brazenly. Just walked into the maternity wing while no one was looking, scooped him into her arms and then made off with him down the road in a London taxi cab. Margaret, who had a difficult pregnancy and an impossible birth, froze over with shock while the father of the child was seen to gallop about like an ostrich, bellowing at the doctors to, for God's sakes, get his son back. Five days passed before the taxi driver came forward and led the police to the home of a poor, emotionally disturbed woman in Hertfordshire. Mercifully, the bemused infant was found alive and safe in the cat basket and duly returned to his mother's arms and never had the hospital witnessed such scenes of joy as those between the exultant parents and their gurgling, weak old child. The doctor said there was no reason to believe that his death six days later was due in any way to the abduction. Subsequent examinations had sadly uncovered a hole in the baby's heart, which under any circumstances would have limited his chance of survival. That That is a uh, bit of a... What's the, what's the phrase? A bit of a... Um, there's moments of hope in that paragraph, isn't there? You think, oh, because at the start of you thinking, affair with the lady... You led down a wrong path, then it's of course no, not that kind of affair. An abducted baby is obviously very. You can't imagine the stress <laughs> at all. But obviously, yeah, you, you sort of let. It's a false. There's a false. I can't. I can't get the words out. But if you're reading this, you're you're hoping that he's alive, stays alive, and then there's a more story about Stuart Meldrew, but of course, no. For that six days, the Meldrews. That's all they had. Six days. I mean, I don't know if. Yeah. if 
if David Remmer would say in the TV series, that's how he that's how he pictured how long Stuart would be alive for. Because it's not we didn't know how old Stuart was in the TV series. It's just you know he would have been a certain age by now, whatever. But we don't know. But obviously in the book, yes, less than a week old. God, that's... Yeah, less than, so, so basically the person stole their baby and yeah. they stole 50% of that baby's life from them. Is there any wonder that uh, Victor and Mark are um, the way they are? Because if they've had that, that kind of trauma in their lives, is there any wonder they uh, get so stressed out? I don't know. Yeah, that is incredibly dark stuff. I recommend the book. It's a very good book. I don't know if you read the latest book. I have, One yeah. Group. It is a, it's a mishmash of storylines, isn't it? But slightly, it's not told in the same order as the show. No, so, no. And there's a few new bits. Jumbled up. So that's that's a little bit extra on Strip Meldrew for those who haven't read the book. But I recommend going out. It's only a couple of pounds now. So worth worth a read, I think. I've lost where I'm at now. So yeah, they're just talking. It's very it's fairly cryptic, isn't it? When they're talking about Stuart. But it's just, I think I'm quite grateful that there's that little extra bit. But you almost don't want to know what happened in a way. It just depends how how much you want to dive into that, into their history. Yeah, it's the nice thing about uh, uh, Renwick's scripts is that he's he's able to write characters that, because obviously they wouldn't need to tell each other who Stuart Meldrew was because they know everything about it. So they'll mm. only say so much. But there's just enough that an outside listener can get a hook on what they're talking about and understand it, even though the dialogue between them is quite vague. Just It's just more clever writing. I think the mood of the sorrowfulness and calm is turned to... It's a bit sour. It turns sour when Victor is quite livid at the, the sparrows making a noise. Okay, that's the other noise you don't want to hear in the morning is the birds singing. That should be a, a happy and pleasant thing, but it's not if you've not had much sleep or any sleep. Yeah. Head back into the, a bit of a philosophical theme when Victor questions the point in life and how Margaret points out that there is some purpose, even if it's a basic one, like you know, the sparrow feeding on a bit of burnt toast and worms that keeps him or her happy enough. Yeah, it's enough for a sparrow and, to live on. So what, why is why are our needs so complex? <laughs> there's talk of no, there's no porridge for breakfast because there's no milk. Um, so Victor obviously humorously suggests worms on toast. Margaret retorts that they can just open a can in the morning. It was a good play on words for the phrase opening a can of worms, which they're yeah. bound to in the next day of their life. They're, they're going to discover more things that anguish them. And yeah, that, that sort of ends, doesn't it? It's quite a, quite a yeah, bizarre end to the Ma- series. Margaret says, we'll open a new can in the morning. And, and Victor goes, yep, we always seem to. And then it closes. It's quite a nice, nice end, really. End the series. It's quite a peaceful end. Learning about Stuart, it, just, it comes from nowhere. It just comes from Victor reading out pretend headlines. He's, he's just trying to be somewhat amusing, passive-aggressively speaking. It completely changes direction. Yeah, but, yeah it's credit. one of those bits of the show that, you, like you've said before, that you don't hear much about how they got to be the people they are. You only see mm. them how they are now. So there's these yeah. very few glimmering insights into their past, and they're very few and far between. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing they survived that, really, because I think most couples who lose children don't necessarily stay together for much longer there is a quite a high percentage of couples do you know unfortunately break up sometime after losing a child i yeah i can't even begin to imagine what that's like i bring the mood down somewhat but obviously they have literally just spoken about losing a child so i suppose it is relevant to talk about it in this context so ben thank you very much for joining me for finishing off series two very apt so it's it's uh lovely to have you back being my first ever guest on the show I hope it's not the last time because I know I said in this format won't be really doing many of these now, but I'm sure I'll find a reason to to talk about one from the grave. So come back again. But yeah, it's great to have you back on. 
I hope, I hope, I hope you've enjoyed it because you've had a bit of a break from coming on the podcast. I have, I have indeed enjoyed it, and it's it's nice to be here at the end as as well as being at the beginning. But I, I do hope we talk again about the show because I am always happy to talk about it. Thank you very much. Well, I will be back with a, a bit of bonus content for this particular episode with a couple of games. But otherwise, take good care and thank you very much for listening. Bye.